Surya Panditi, CEO of NLX North America, explains how energy innovations like managed EV charging can help utilities and grid operators. Listen in. Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. Hi, and welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. Today is Friday, April 2nd, and we have with us our guest, Surya Penditi. Surya is CEO of NLX North America. Surya, thanks for being on. Well, thank you, Bryce. Thanks for inviting me. Can you introduce yourself? What led you to the role you have here, and what do you do with NLX? Sure. So I've been in the energy business for less than two years, coming up on two years. And uh, my background has primarily been in uh, technology, telecom, networking, enterprise software. What I find really interesting now is that the energy, especially if you look at the energy transition, technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence, some of these technologies that come from where I was working previously have become very applicable to the energy business. And I also believe that we are at an inflection point where we could be doing a lot more for the planet, which I believe NL has been a leader in, a thought leader and an action leader. And so that's what brought me here is when I saw that um, NL globally had signed up for the UN SDGs, that um, we made some of the early investments in renewables and commitments to a transition from fossil fuels. And uh, to me, that was an important uh, attractor for me. Well, the industry always needs smart minds. We'll take great people from tech. So thanks for joining in. Uh, I always ask this question, you know, as I had said, today is April 2nd. We're now over a year into the global pandemic. Uh, how are you doing? How is the, the team at NLX doing? Thank you for asking. I see a few different types of um, situations. There are some that have fair amount of flexibility because of being in a place, a location that allows them access to the outside and um, remote working is manageable. Having said that, of course, in the early days, all of us were confused about what the new operating model was and how long it was going to last. The parts that I worry about are, are the types of people I worry about on the team. One is those who are in a much more confined space maybe in an apartment that they're sharing with other people or with a spouse and um, children and pets. And and the next is where people advance in their careers through personal interactions. I want to make sure, and we're trying to make sure that we don't somehow forget that part of the business. It's not your job you're doing today. That I believe people have been uh, surprisingly effective at doing. But it's the how do we make sure that we don't lose sight of that um, career development and uh, progression that's important for a lot of our people and making sure that we provide them that opportunity. Well, first, the first topic I wanted to dive into a little bit was kind of around the decarbonization future. So obviously, this week's been a big week here in the U.S. uh, with the Biden team announcing some of their thoughts on an infrastructure package. And previously, they had signaled the intention to fully decarbonize the energy system by 2035. 
Um, from your perspective, what kind of magnitude and pace do you think is going to be required to meet an ambitious objective such as that? I do think that um, we need to um, make a lot of progress, both uh, getting to net zero and keeping an eye on the 1.5 degrees. And it takes every industry and every type of company and organization, governments, despite political differences, I do think there's some common agreement that we all need to come together on it. And NL itself, by the way, in our last um, Capital Markets Day, which was uh, November last year, we announced a 10-year strategic plan with an emphasis on uh, electrification and decarbonization. And so we want to get to 67 gigawatts of renewable capacity by 2023. So that's not far away. And in fact, we said our goal is 145 gigawatts of installed renewable capacity by 2030. So I do think it takes that kind of bold, both decisions and actual investments and execution in order to make that happen. And the part of NL that I'm involved with, which is NLX, we have a plan. Now, this is at a global level of uh, uh, more than uh, 4 million EV ports. So we do the charging ports and um, also to triple the flexibility from our commercial and industrial customers. Today, I believe we are somewhere in the north of six six gigawatts of flexibility. And by the way, just to point out to the North American audience, the bulk of it is in North America. So in uh, the US and Canada, our starting with demand response, but now more flexibility, we have about 4.7 gigawatts in our portfolio. Um, and in many markets around both uh, the U.S. and Canada. So I do believe it takes that kind of platform in order to get towards the decarbonization and the decarbonized future. We also, by the way, consult with companies for both measuring their current greenhouse gas emissions as, as well as helping them plan towards getting to future targets. And we have a software platform that runs renewables procurement and uh, we've done we've done some very large procurements for uh, very large tech companies that are uh, really an, a, i believe a strong step forward towards this decarbonized future so i think you helped explain some of the concept for uh, of the role that you all are going to play but for listeners who aren't familiar with nl and nlx clearly both have a very significant role to play in the decarbonized future. But can you can you explain who an L is, who an LX is, what you primarily are, are working to help the industry achieve? Oh, of course. NL is started as a utility, an Italian utility, and since then has expanded globally. And we are the retail supplier in some countries, like in Spain and Italy and parts of South America. And we, as I mentioned earlier about our renewables investment, we've, in the North American market, we started with doing utility scale renewables and initially hydro, but then we went into um, both wind and um, and uh, PV. And now we're doing, of course, battery attached as well. So hybrid renewables at the utility scale. And that is the bulk of the business. So we have the utility part of it is the bulk of the business. We includes infrastructure and networks and includes the retail side. We also have some uh, trading capabilities. 
we came to realize that the energy transition will require the types of technologies, both software and other types of technologies, and know-how that comes from implementation of these technologies to help different segments of the market with this transition. So if you look specifically at commercial industrial segments, they're at the end of the day, they're in the business of whichever business they're in. They're not an energy company. So they need a trusted energy partner, which is where NLX comes in. And especially, Bryce, if you think about the last few years, the topic of both sustainability, but also decarbonization has become a C-suite or even board level discussion. So we're talking about a lot of focus from the CEO and uh, in many cases, starting with the big companies, but also to others. So we realize that they have business objectives. And so anything we do on the energy has to tie to those. And we have three business objectives that we work on. Number one is helping them save money or even make money like in demand response programs where we pay the customer. Second is managing risk, which could be risks such as the situation that happened in Texas or California or Puerto Rico when the hurricanes happened. So resiliency is part of that, as well as price uncertainty. So they, we help them manage that. And the third is to meet their green targets, whatever that might be, to help work with them on it. So when we talk about our portfolio of the flexibility solutions, whether it's curtailment on the, on the demand side or whether it's distributed energy resources that we can bring into the flexibility market, and then we monetize it by participating in whatever the um, financial opportunities might be, which, as you know, vary from either different utilities or different system op independent system operators. And so we work within those markets to monetize these investments. So the large utilities in Europe, not just Enel, have many of them, most of them have become multinational energy providers. Um, how has that strategy proven for Enel and NLX? And how complex is it bringing such a diversity of, of of available resources to such a diverse geography? Um, let me start with the challenge and then I'll get to the opportunities and what we've done. The challenge, of course, is that NL, if you go to Italy, everybody knows NL and, you know, parents want their kids to work for NL and uh, look at that as a really great opportunity, which is not the case in North America. We're not as well known. People in the industry specifically would know us, uh, may know us or would know us. But um, at the same time, the um, that also is an opportunity for us to get better known. And we've started partnering. I mentioned the CNI, but we're also partnering with utilities directly and figuring out with, between our various offerings on uh, storage and demand response, but also on the e-mobility side now with the EV charging infrastructure that um, we're starting to participate in utility programs in order to be able to uh, work on uh, on the electrification of um, uh, transportation. We're also bringing in e-buses. So we happen to be, I believe, outside of China, we're probably the largest e-bus um, owner, operator, but we haven't done that in, uh, in North America. Uh, we do that in South America quite successfully, so we're bringing that as well. And so the challenge I mentioned was how do you take this European utility and coming into, into a new market? And we did that with three things. Number one, we brought some of our footprint on the renewable side, was able to help us with scouting out what we need to do in, um, in North America. 
The second is we made some acquisitions. And so we acquired Anonarch, we acquired Demand Energy, we acquired Motorworks. So these are all different acquisitions that form the footprint of NLX North America, but we've taken them global after the acquisition. And third thing is we're doing organic development, of course. And so we've invested considerably in software technologies. In um, We have our own data science team. And we're also doing, of course, other types of, um, of uh, operational and go-to-market improvements. And that's the organic piece that we're growing. So many of the traditional and I would say somewhat vertically integrated distribution utilities in North America uh, have pretty limited equity investments in companies like you, the strategy like you guys did where you bought the companies and are expanding them to, to geographies. Uh, obviously they're the deployment agents for some of these, these key activities, but how has the role that an LX played proven to be a good strategy and what sort of lessons do you think either utilities or other stakeholders might have uh, in, in the lessons that you guys are, are finding by the investments that you're making in the strategy that you're bringing together? We are in a pretty unique situation and position because on one hand, we have our origins in a utility that has walked the walk. And so we've learned a lot along the way of how do you transition from a fossil fuel-based, very traditional integrated utility to participating in a, a more deregulated markets, as well as making the transition to become on the path to becoming carbon neutral. And so that journey, we've learned a lot. And at the same time, we are not a utility in North America. So we can partner with utilities because we are not a competitor to them in any way. And so we can learn the lessons, but also have this partnership. So I've certainly been impressed with the leadership that many of the senior folks at utilities that I've interacted with how forward thinking they are in, uh, in North America. So I have to give credit that um, there's a recognition of this transition and an openness and willingness to hear our perspective and point of view. Uh, I've personally interacted with some of these folks, um, including you know, C-suite um, executives, and uh, they've been very open to, I I'll give you a couple of examples. So one was where we talked about how do we, how do we scale our EV program so that we're bringing all of the benefits of not just the electrification of transportation, but the software intelligence to make sure that their end customers are happy with the with that move, as well that we can participate in the energy markets in a, in a meaningful and thoughtful way. And for example, today in uh, California ISO, we actually have residential charging units registered in the demand response program. And so we are able to participate to some extent. Of course, the vehicle has to be plugged in for it to be curtailed or somehow managed, but we certainly are doing that. So to me, it's it's that openness, or that's one example. The other one is where we had a discussion with a different utility about how the combination of distributed storage and EV charging infrastructure Today, they look at them as two separate RFPs. And my suggestion was, why don't you think about how you combine them? And there was an openness to say that that is definitely worth considering. So some innovation that um, that is happening. Of course, we can talk more about uh, the FERC 2222 order in a, in a few minutes. I'm sure you'll get to that as well. But uh, to me, there are there are some some opportunities and some some challenges as well. You know, um, 
there are certain markets where we believe that distributed resources, whether they be battery storage systems or other forms of distributed energy resources, should be given price signals to participate in um, in the market when the grid is running hot. And we'd like to see that happen in order to give the right kind of financial uh, returns for people like us who are willing to invest many tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, you covered most of the topic areas I wanted to, to touch base with you on over the next few weeks. So we'll just pick a couple, but let's, let's loop back on electrification. Um, in the package that the Biden administration just shared, it was a significant component. Industry has been talking about it very enthusiastically for a number of years. How are you all seeing the increased interest in transportation electrification playing out? What, what are some of the areas within that that are really exciting that you guys have a frontline view at? It's a good question, Bryce. You know, I, uh, to me, we have to we have to pick and choose where we put our focus. Too, there, this is a situation where there are many opportunities. So let's take the actual vehicle electrification. Of course, we don't play in that uh, uh, other than buses. And even that's a new area. We're just entering the market. We recently announced that we did uh, we signed a deal in Massachusetts where we have a combination of. Uh, Two, two electric buses that we are going to acquire in addition to a PV plus storage plus EV charging infrastructure that we're doing that entire set of projects. Think of that as a pilot. But so there's the uh, transit opportunity. So you've got transit buses, you've got school buses, and then you've got fleets, companies, private companies also have fleets of buses. So multiple opportunities in that case. And then on the electrification of transportation, then, of course, you've got the opportunities around uh, national highways. Today, that's not something that we're as much focused on, but uh, certainly it could be an area of interest. And then you've got the um, obviously all of the other markets, whether it's commercial, industrial, government and utility schemes that uh, like the uh, make ready programs that um, are uh, interesting to us. And we expect to see now more direct participation or purchasing by government entities of many of these types of uh, products and services. Um, maybe we can touch a little bit on storage or other grid-related aspects. So, you know, as the acceleration of wind and solar and other renewables come online, I think a lot of folks are starting to think rather holistically around the investments that the grid needs to make. What are you guys thinking as especially critical investments and in areas that you are involved in and, and working with your partners on in that realm? The distributed energy resources, to me, we've only scratched the surface. There's a lot more we could do. And partly it's the visibility of these resources. And so now, again, with the FERC Order 2222, there is that focus and need and uh, drive towards not only the recognition and visibility, but also the participation. To me, the missing piece is, um, in, in some places it's happening faster, in some places a little slower, but the missing piece is having the right ability to participate in wholesale markets or in, let's say, generally in grid services, and to be thoughtful about how that happens, meaning that it should be when the grid is really in need of that resource to be able to discharge that resource at that time, to dispatch it at that time. And so the 
financial capacity incentives or resource adequacy incentives should be tied to having that resource dispatched as and when needed when that situation occurs. But the visibility is important as well to know what is available, both primarily this visibility issue, of course, is behind the meter assets. We do participate in uh, distributed front of the meter assets as well. And then the global generation part of NL, NL North America also is doing the both hybrid renewables. And so they're doing uh, PV plus storage as well as um, wind plus storage as uh, at utility scale. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. So maybe I can ask you a, a question, given your, your technology background a little bit, around uh, the information flow and the analytics. And as a lot of, especially these distributed resources, come online, what sort of capabilities you would think are especially important for whether it's a grid operator or other energy stakeholders to really start taking more seriously? What, how do we need to leverage the opportunity that an additional set of information can bring to the, to the ecosystem? It's a good question. And I see that three things. Number one is visibility and software and technology, IOT. Those can give you visibility into the various whether it's demand side or the supply side assets that are available across the geography and multiple locations. So visibility is one. And frankly, one of the areas that we do give visibility is uh, working on uh, utility portals. So both on our EV charging infrastructure side, as well as our demand response side, we have uh, software that is essentially providing that visibility to the uh, utilities. The second is optimization. Assets are only as good as your deployment of those assets. And how do you operationalize the optimization in order to match the expected outcomes? So if you want to do demand charge management, then you should have the ability to operationalize and to be able to you know, do all the right things at the right time and in a manner that's not going to be de- detrimental to the system or to the grid, but incremental and beneficial, but to the the host customer as well as to the grid. And the third piece is the participation in the energy markets. And that tends to be a fairly complex set of both forecasting as well and, and algorithms, as well as the ability to dispatch in and at the right time and to send the signal for the optimization to happen. And so all three, I believe, are very important. And I do believe that technologies that help include many things that came from the more traditional, what we think of as technology world. And those are now, of course, very important, whether, as I said, IoT or machine learning or to be able to do uh, the right kind of data science and algorithms to forecast and to get better at it over time. And to do that iteratively is uh, a part of what um, technology brings to this uh, particular set of problems. And, and how robust or off-the-shelf ready would you say the portfolio of solutions that generally cover those areas are right now? Is, is there a long ways to go 
for these these functional tools to just drop right in and provide the functionality that's needed? Um, are they ready to go and not being used? What's your perspective on that right now? Today, I would say they are they're not plug and play. They're more linked. They're more bespoke, and each use case almost kind of develops capabilities around it because you're trying to solve a particular use case. I do see that getting a, getting more, maybe not plug and play, but more discreet in the sense that, you know, we have a vision which says any asset into any market. And our vision would be to take the various types of assets, whether they be, um, again, demand side assets or, uh, or like curtailment or uh, generation or distributed energy resources or other types of assets and, you know, what people call a VPP. But frankly, it's about putting an asset into a market in order to be able to satisfy a set of requirements in that particular market. I would say it's uh, not plug and play, but it's certainly going in that direction. So I'm going to pivot us to a couple last topics before we wrap up our time. Uh, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a question on resiliency. Obviously, it's always been a key issue for the industry, but last weeks and months have really, you know, continued to bring it front of center and front of mind to many folks. Um, what all are you seeing as the set of capabilities that an LX and other providers are bringing to really address the what seems to be increasing frequency and increasing magnitude and impact of the resiliency disruptions on our system. We were dispatched in California when the rolling blackouts were forecasted, which was what a couple of months ago, a few months ago. And we were able to bring to curtail, depending on the day, north of 150 megawatts between commercial industrial as well as residential. As I Controlling demand side? On the demand side. So we curtailed and working with CNIs and our uh, EV customers, EV charging uh, customers have the ability to opt into the DR program. So collectively between that, we delivered over 150 megawatts uh, in, uh, in a given day. Likewise, we were dispatched in um, Texas as well. And again, we, we performed, I believe, quite well. And we recently also announced a microgrid project in Puerto Rico with Eaton Corporation. And you know that there were hurricanes a few years ago in Puerto Rico that were pretty destructive. We believe that the technology and the products exist. They always can be and will get better, but they exist. So the question then becomes, what else do we need in order to have this become a much more important part of the resiliency infrastructure? And that, I believe, is really about a few things. One is having the right kind of flexibility programs. In, um, For example, in CalISO, they have the base interruptible program. They have the DRAM, so multiple types of programs. They're good programs, but we, we could certainly improve on them as well. And so that's, that's one area. The second area, and I, I don't mean to talk about it in one particular geography, but I think in general, to the extent that the markets exist, we, we welcome open markets and free markets where we can participate alongside others. And the second is for the distributed energy resources to have the right level of um, um, price signal and being able to bring those assets on when needed in order to help with the grid. That also helps resiliency. And so you're you're locating the the source close to where the energy needs are. And then um, there's to the places there are 
incentives of some sort, whether they be tax incentives or other types of incentives like the SMART incentive in um, Massachusetts or um, other similar incentives. Those all obviously help in at least getting the market going and, and making sure that we're bringing online these resiliency as well as um, financial investments into the market. So here in the U.S. this week, uh, the Biden administration had climate investment as a portion of a significant infrastructure package. It seemed like it was a rather broad infrastructure package. Where do you see um, that having an immediate impact as far as stimulating the economy, getting activity going where the industry may not have otherwise um, had, had some activity going? You know, certainly there are some areas that um, we could see further improvements in. Um, certainly the investment in uh, the transmission systems would be important. Uh, getting faster, simplified interconnect interconnection happen. That's an area that we certainly would like to see. And frankly, the um, I've already talked about the market design, which is another uh, important part. And uh, to the extent that we can also start to ensure that the workforce that will be needed as we start to increase these investments, we need to have the right kind of people and um, training. And uh, that's that's human capital is probably one of the most important um, elements of investments that we could be making as well. I'll ask one more personal question, and then we'll wrap up our discussion. So, so for you, you're a little bit newer to the industry, coming over from tech a couple more years. What what drives you to do the work that you do in there at an LX uh, and to make the sort of impact that you're that you're trying to have? You know, pre-COVID, when we used to um, go into the office, one of the things that always surprised me, or not surprised me, but was a pleasant surprise, if if I could say that way, was the enthusiasm of the team in working on towards sustainability and fighting climate change and doing our part. And what impressed me was, so there's, there's a, one of our managers on her own decided to have this um, kind of a hackathon for different problems that we're working on. And so in another, um, someone else on the team sponsored this hackathon. And a lot of the ideas were, of course, related to how we could improve our products and services. But there were teams that were focused on how can we reduce waste in the seaport district. And the the question, the problem statement they put on the table was, we're all working hard. And, you know, so we order lunch to be delivered to us. Guess what? That comes with a, in a bag. It comes with packaging. It comes with these utensils that you throw away. And they said, that's really bad. You know, we're we're encouraging creation of this kind of waste. So they went around and uh, started convincing a lot of the local restaurants to send only compostable items. So the, the packaging, the everything should be compostable so that you can put it in, in the compost. And then not to include utensils if people don't need it. I mean, simple things, but... I was encouraged by that. So I'm giving this uh, as an example to show you that that's the team that NLX has. Is So that is so motivating um, as the head of that team to say, I don't have to push these guys. They're pushing me, pulling me along in uh, in the way they're thinking about the future. 
for our for our wrap up, it's a rather general one, but but I'll toss you a two parter. Uh, you know, there is obviously, and we covered much of it today, a lot coming at the industry with regards to the activity and the demands on the electric system. Um, you know, what one or two areas would you say uh, kind of concern you or keep you up at night, if you will? And what one or two areas are you especially enthusiastic or excited about as you look to the short term ahead? I would say the part of the concern is that the transition is not siloed. What I mean by that is if you take one part of the, let's say, technology piece, technology without the regulation, without the market, the right kind of market design, the right kind of government, state or local or federal support and encouragement, without all of those things, technology by itself isn't going to solve the problem. So if I could put it as a concern is that we are sitting in different rooms trying to solve the problem, but not sitting in the same room together to solve the problem. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing, so don't take that. So to me, concerns and opportunities are different sides of the same coin. So on the one hand, I have that concern, but on the other hand, I do see a lot of um, really good work and good thinking. Uh, I'm on the board of the AAA, the Advanced Energy Economy, for example. And so you know, I see them trying to work with different stakeholders to bring together the where we would like the future to go. And then I mentioned earlier again, on a couple of specific technology points around uh, the market design, around the distributed energy resources participation in the market and in the grid, and to bring in the right kind of EV infrastructure participation as well. I do think that all of those together will be a strong way to uh, make us, all of us collectively, the entire ecosystem, make the kind of progress that we need to make. Well, Surya, we appreciate you being on with us. Anel and Anel X are certainly charging an exciting path forward. Thanks for sharing your perspectives today. Thank you, Dr. I appreciate your time and uh, for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.